I'm glad that you're uh, putting your headphones on your hair now, whereas in previous episodes, you didn't wear them because you didn't want to mess up your hair. Yeah, because it was awesome. Are you talking about the episode that we already recorded, but it got that, deleted? That didn't record? Yeah, it was awesome. So now it's like midnight, it's pitch black, and we're at the top of a funeral home. He's not lying. Nope, it's all true. This is 100% true. Look out the window over at that. Except that it's not really midnight. It's not. But. It feels like it. We're burning the midnight oil. It's after nine. <laughs> That's midnight. For me. Isn't that the new midnight for? Nine is the new midnight. Yeah. Look out the window at these people. Well, you can't see the people. You can see the light on. And if they were to look out the window at us, they would be like, What's going on? <laughs> what in the world? Are those guys on ham radios? <laughs> <laughs> Our audience would be wider if we were on ham radios. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's what we should do. That is what we should do. Uh, that tickled so me. So the fact that we're here late means uh, we're not doing something else that's really important. And Like parenting. That's pretty much it. That's fine. I just put a doggy gate up. When my kids go to bed and then Megan and I go out on the town overnight, I'm not going to joke about that because I actually know of someone who served our country in the military, thank you, who's no longer married to this individual. Come to find out while they were serving overseas, they would go out and put a doggy gate up for the, like for their humans. I heard a story oh, no. of someone that I know whose children, adult children, uh, went to Louisville and took a baby monitor and left their child in a hotel room and walked down outside across the street and into a popular um, entertainment district in Louisville called 4th Street Live uh. with the baby monitor in hand just in case their infant needed them. They could, you know, do the 10-mile walk back <laughs> to the hotel. Oh, my Awful. Gosh. There's a new Netflix series that came out. It's a four-part series. That wasn't me. That definitely was not you. There's a four-part series that came out about Madeline, I uh, can't recall her last name, who was abducted as their parents were literally outside on their own vacation. This is scary. I don't like this is dark in here. I know. Why are we talking, about, talking about this in the dark of the funeral? No, like they were literally at the pool, 60 feet, 100 feet away. They were like, we're going to go. And they did rotations on who checked on them every 30 minutes, 20 minutes. It's just sad stuff. Hey, I think this is a great segue into a podcast about parenting. What do you think? Okay, go with it. First of all, I think we should take a break and uh, let's just, let's have a sing along. Okay. Ready? Like what just happened. Let's talk about parenting. This is awful. I don't like it. So, uh, how are your kids? <laughs> They're asleep. Tonight had to be one of the worst in recent history. Nathan uh, sent me a text. Evenings. Can I tell him about the text? Yeah, I don't care. It was awful. A text of one of his children. We won't say since he's a minor. His first initial is E. <laughs> his 
middle name is Vrit. <laughs> um, anyway, and uh, the the little text video was of uh, some some misbehavior, and Nathan was like, "What'd you say? Tell Doctor Carol what what you're refusing to do, or something like that." He, his he was like assaulting you. He kind of was. <laughs> <laughs> so his his iPad was literally probably from me to my drink right here. He said, give my phone. He calls it his phone. Give my phone. And I literally was like, no. So I just sat there with my hands in my lap. And I said, I'm going to show Dr. Kara how you're acting. <laughs> You'll have to tell him that I showed all of our daughters that. He will not be happy. So hey, oh, go I, ahead. I think she, No, I just think you should paint the picture as to what type of vibe you have just set in the uh, You'll Die Trying well, podcast. We're literally studio. sitting in the dark. The room is illumined only by the the uh, ambient light of the floodlights that are lighting up the funeral home, which looks like a scary building. It's a beautiful building. It is beautiful. What is it that you wish... Well, let me ask you this. What have you learned about yourself since becoming a parent? Hmm. Well, I'm not a terrible one. Okay. I thought I'd be an absolutely horrible parent. Not kidding. Like, didn't even want kids because I'm going to be terrible, kind of horrible. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I'm not that bad. Uh, that's all I've learned. <laughs> well, that's a positive. That is a positive. <clears throat> I have learned that setting boundaries is easier said than done. I have learned that if you do it for them, they will expect you to do it for them every time and for the rest of their lives. So I didn't give him his cell phone, his phone, his iPad. Right. See? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've also learned that my children are separate from me. We are different people. So that when they are doing something that they ought not to do, that doesn't mean I am doing something I ought not to do. When they are being disciplined... I don't have to feel bad about it. And that's very liberating. That is liberating. Not not to say that you would ever feel bad for disciplining your children. But I don't I don't struggle with feeling bad for disciplining them. Yeah. I used to. I don't anymore. Well, I used to be really bad at disciplining them. I would think that being a parent to a daughter would be I don't want to say harder. I I, I just feel far different. I just it's, feel yeah, far it's different. Only different, not harder, not easier. I have no idea. I don't have any sons. Well, I just think it's like this del- there's an added sense of delicacy. I'm not saying women are this like these little teapots that are so delicate they're going to break if you blow on them. But yeah, no, I just think that if you not. have a girl sitting in the chair across from the couch and you're disciplining them, there's going to be a more mindful. No. Okay, I'm wrong. I'm just dumb. I'm Girls just... are, they are mighty. And we want them to be, right? Yeah. But it, it, they are. I mean, it is. I think, uh, I'm guessing girls are harder at the front end and boys are harder in the back end. Because or, teenage boys are, you know, that's a tough age for boys. But it's tough for girls too. Yeah. What do I know? I really, I don't <laughs> we know. We literally don't know anything. What do you want to leave for your children. I don't mean when you die, but I mean like as you age and your children age and y'all kind of you're you're you know progressing through life and so are they. What would you like to bequeath to them? I bequeath to them I would like to hard work a work ethic of 
you know, just this don't stop until it's done right exceptionally well. Love it. That's something that's important. And I think faith kind of goes with that. I get, I think faith goes with anything. You apply faith with all those things and that we could continue to talk about. But I think work ethic is very admirable. Mm. Something that I was taught at a young age, at an early age. So I'd like to pass that on because I think that I've become successful. And relatively, I think I'm a good human being, a decent human because of you know work ethic, hard work, working to be better at everything myself and the things I do. You are a hard worker. Thanks, man. Yeah, I do try. I, I'm really good at working hard. Some people aren't. Some mm. people really, they <clears throat> know no different. Right. They just know that they punch in at this time. They kind of skate around and just kind of like, oh, I, yeah, I guess I'll do that. And I'm not trying to mock, but that's literally their mindset. And then, you know, at 2.58, they're like, oh, I'm going to go home now. And it's like, well, but you, the clock isn't three. I mean, that's how I think. Yes, I, I'm with you. So hard work. Hard work. Faith. Faith intertwined with that, that hard work, that sense of hard work and kindness. Aura et labra, prayer and work. Yeah, like just, just being kind to people. I think like walking around the block with the kids, you know, good afternoon, how are you? It's really fulfilling when my four-year-old and five-year-old are saying, hi, how are you today, Mrs. Do? Mm. That's awesome. That's nice. That, that makes me feel good. And she's sweet. And she's a very sweet lady and a yeah. great neighbor. Yeah, she's good. Yes, she is. What about you? Uh, yeah, I'm a decent neighbor. No, no, no. I mean, like, what do you want to bequeath? I bequeath to you. I want to bequeath the, uh, I want to bequeath empathy. I want my children to be able to recognize who they are and who others are and be able to be comfortable in the ambiguity of those differences and sensitive uh, in the struggles that other people experience. I want them to learn how to really listen, to put themselves aside while maintaining self, think about the good of others. Think, first of all. Like, thinking would be great. I'm thinking. Listen, process what you're hearing, think about what that means, and then speak very carefully and very thoughtfully. And of course, compassion. That's that's good stuff, man. So, what did you inherit from your parents that you're most grateful for? Dad was work ethic, for sure. And then mom was the kindness. Okay. And that's interesting that I want to pass those on. Yeah, that's I talked about that before and I didn't put those two and two together, but now here we are talking about that and it's... Mom was always kind to people and a servant, you know, and dad just, everything was pristine, like mowing of the yard, talking about that. Like that's what I first learned how to do exceptionally well, like mowing straight lines and grass clippings off of the sidewalks and the curbs. And just like, there's something admirable about that. That sticks out to you when you drive down the street and you see the curb appeal of other yards. You're like, oh my gosh. Well, that's what I learned at an early age. And that's from my dad. My dad was you know, balls to the wall. Yeah. And that's what I think I've learned from both of them. So, <clears throat> I had a great question. I just lost it. Well, well, let me just flip the switch. What about you? What did you learn from mom? What dad? I know what I was going to ask you. Okay. What Did your parents work outside the home? Yes. What did each of them do? Uh, mother worked for uh, an attorney um, and she could, she used to be, she started as like a court reporter. 
So chick could sit there and type like a stenographer. Insane amount. I mean, then she would listen to dep depositions. Yeah. Yes, I got it right. Cause remember like the last couple of podcasts ago, yeah. she would, and she would uh, type them out. And then um, she worked for a school system. And then now she works for a natural gas pipeline company. Okay. Dad was always has been in sales. His ability to develop relationships uh, is second to none. Just so impressive. Worked for a janitorial supply company. Would go around with this uh, suitcase, briefcase looking thing that was a book. And it was just like anything janitorial supplies related. Wow. And he would sell it from chemicals for cleaning of toilets to driving vacuum cleaners for a huge... Oh, isn't that amazing? Yeah, like Zambonis. We, yeah, and we used to play in the warehouse at uh, yeah. Barrett Fisher, the late Barrett Fisher. I think he's still around. Is but, that for whom he worked? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. Yep. Gotcha. So he's, they've always, he's been in sales. Mom's been in some sort of uh, administrative, and now she's one of the most liked people in her uh, office because she's head of payroll. <laughs> so. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, to thank you to answer your question, uh, I my dad and my mom. Well, my my dad was always in um, like storage and distribution work, oh. warehouse management. I think we're like the same people. Yeah, because my mom was always in kind of admin, accounts payable, payroll. But they worked for the same company for twenty five years of their married life, so they would get up. Drive to work, which was about a fifteen minute drive together, and, and drive home together. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. But they worked in separate places. My dad was in the back in the warehouse, managing, literally wearing a blue shirt, blue collar, with his name Johnny on the name tag, and he would oversee uh, other forklift operators and oversee distribution schedules and storage schedules and things like tires and you know. But the biggest. Um, client was Honda, Honda motorcycles, Honda power equipment, which is how I got into riding motorcycles when I was a kid because my dad would bid for damaged crates once a year at the damage sale at the company, and he bought my first dirt bike um, that way, which is pretty cool. I didn't know about this. Either. So anyway, uh, my dad and my so my mom was in the front office, and my dad was in the back, and 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 my dad taught me uh, about. The, the listening, the compassion, the empathy part. Um, and I didn't know really, because I died, he died when I was 15, and I didn't know until after he died with these three, four, or five hours of nonstop people coming to visit at the, at the funeral home, how he meant to people and how many lives he had touched. And you think he worked in a warehouse and he came home, and then tomorrow he worked at the warehouse and then he came home. But he was a deacon at church. He was a Gideon. He played on the company softball team, you know, and it, he's just such, such a sweet, sweet guy. And whenever I go home, people like to tell me that, which is really, really nice. So listening to people and being kind and showing compassion and making sure everybody knows that they have space and they're heard and honored as they are. And that's all, that's all from my dad. My mom has taught me meticulousness, paying attention to detail uh, making sure that you you know start something and finish it, and my mom taught me how to care for people because she cared for my father up until the end, and his illness was very brief. But you know, obviously, her love for him wasn't, and and it it was very painful to watch. And I but I did get to see what loving someone up until the end of their days means and looks like. And then she did that with her mother too. 
uh, who died ultimately of complications after severe stroke strokes. She taught me the uh, how to stand beside someone until the end of their days, which was which is pretty beautiful. So uh, those are the things that I think I picked up from my parents, and, and I certainly want to, like you, bequeath those to my kids too. John told me, my brother told me something that you know we think our parents are perfect growing up, but then we realize. <laughs> as adults, that they're just as human as we are. Yeah, I'm sure that's true. I don't remember thinking that way about my parents, but I know I had to have because all children do. All children children do. Yeah. They're, they're my so, kids don't. They don't think you're perfect? <laughs> no. No, they know I'm not. So perfect. But I do think that kids are that way until a certain age. Yeah. Well, but, you know. Sorry, so, Mom, I don't think you're perfect. Or Dad. No. They don't listen. They they don't even know how to turn their phones on. <laughs> my dad, my dad, bless his heart. He has a, a Samsung Galaxy Ten. Wow, that's a relatively new phone. Yes, right? why? <laughs> it's like one step down from the fold. Yeah, the fold. By the way, oh my gosh, Samsung, great job. I'm I'm a huge fan of that. Are you? Yes, I'm not. I don't care. Well, I don't. I care about your opinion. I don't care. <laughs> Well, I, I, I guess I did want mean a folding tablet. It's incredible. It's already too much. That's where it's going. Too much. It's where it's going. But Dad has an, a, a Galaxy Ten, and it clips it to the side of his pants like a like an old man. Well, like a construction worker. Well, but I think he has the screen out. Yes, he definitely does. I saw it this morning. <laughs> it's ridiculous. As opposed to the back out. But that could have been. Do you want to hear a story about my dad? Okay. So he needed, uh, we have this the, this system at the funeral homes, you know, cloud-based system, and it's a scanning system. And you have to access the camera in order to, and the app to scan. Well, he accesses the the app and he's like, son, my, my camera's broken. What in the heck is going on? My camera is broken. And he is going on and on about it. So I said, hand me the phone. I slid it out of the case. Exposing the lens, scanned this this QR code and walked away. <laughs> and I heard him as I walking as I walked away saying, "I'm so stupid." <laughs> Getting older is not easy. I, I cannot imagine because, like, we grew up playing Oregon Trail, and and I grew up on computers and like yeah. ASD, right? Like playing you know keys and typing class and. C he, colon forward slash. He literally. Did you ever use DOS? I don't even know what that is. Okay. So no. Ladies poor, and gentlemen. Poor dad. That's, that's Nathan showing his age right there. And his lack of computer language skills. What's DOS? It's a digital operating system. Ooh! It was the, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So tell me know. what it's like for you being uh, the middle of three boys as you are the father of three boys. I love it. What I embraced bet, it. What bet? Did you lose? Yeah, I didn't lose a bet. That's well, good. Are you talking about having three boys? No, being the middle. Being of the three. middle child, I don't know. I don't know. My brother Aaron is so laid back and has kind of been the fatherly figure for you know. Mom and dad split up when I was graduated. Uh, John was in middle school, so Aaron, what are the age differences? Three and a half years between Aaron and myself, and then from uh, John and myself, three and a half years. Okay, and. Aaron was always the brother, the the fatherly figure, and John was 
he marches to the beat of his own drum. He's just a unique bird, but he's brilliant. Both of them are brilliant. They really are, and we're very close. We've been through, as most families and probably siblings, which, by the way, a lot of siblings aren't close. Aren't yeah. at oh, all. Oh, sure, sure. I have a, I have a friend who, who has a twin sister, and I was like, yeah, so you're like really close. He's like, no, not really, not mm-hmm. at all. And you would think that I bring that up because twins mm-hmm. are just, you know, stereotypically, you know, attached. You said it. And he's not with them. And anyway, my brothers and I are very close. <clears throat> and I love, I always love standing out. And I think that's opposite of what a lot of middle children want to do. And they want to kind of slip under the, you know. Do you think radar. if you had an identical twin, you'd be competitive with him? <laughs> I'd probably have killed him. The yeah. story of Cain and Abel? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would. Isaac have, and Esau? I would have been very competitive with them. Yeah. What about you? You have like a sister. Sister, sister. I have a sister. She is eight years older. Now, sociologists will argue with merit that siblings born five years apart or more are essentially only children because they are raised by different parents. Wow. Same parents, but different parents, right? So my sister was, I think, the, the, the princess of the castle, modest ranch castle, three bedrooms, one and a half bath in Chesapeake, Virginia, until um, I was born. And I think my birth was... Uh, an earthquaking event for her. And I think she would say if she were here, that she's never quite gotten over it. I curse you, Ichabod Crane. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, she had the had the whole family to herself. She was the she's the only girl to this day of of cousins and of, of whom there are not many. We're a very small family. My dad was one of four, two of whom had children, he and his brother, and uh, all boys except for my dad had a girl. So she is the, in my, and then on my mom's side, she had one brother who had one son, so my sister's the only girl on both sides. So it was not lore, but truth and fact that my sister was the preferred grandchild on both sides of the family. That was just something you knew. Like, you know, in your SAT test, it was all these factual questions, and then, you know, your sister was A, preferred, B, not preferred, and it was always A. Everybody knew that she was preferred, mm. um, which was fine. That's just how it was. And, um, but it, as a result, I think it was probably hard for her to, you know, kind of have me around. And then both my parents worked, as I said. So we were kind of latchkey kids. Um, we would go to school and come back. Our parents were, were gone when we left and they were gone when we came back until around dinner time. And then my mom would come home and slave over a stove to prepare for us. And then my sister learned to drive and she would take me everywhere and force me to watch Grease 2 every day. And, um, you know, make her just the normal stuff, fried bologna and yeah, steakums. So the normal stuff. We aren't. My family isn't close. I think they would probably say that we're close, but because I don't live there, um, I'm I'm four, twelve to fourteen hours away from my home in Tidewater, um, Chesapeake, Virginia Beach, Virginia area. So we're not close geographically. Um, that doesn't prohibit us from being close emotionally. But we also aren't that either, and I think that's part of because the age difference. Um, 
and also because of just lives, like going to school, living in a bunch of different places, living and studying overseas. My jobs have taken me elsewhere, whereas the entire rest of the family is kind of right there within a few miles of one another. So just by nature, you know, the closeness isn't isn't there. No bad blood just, and, you know, happy to hear from and talk to one another just doesn't happen very often. So I just think that's the make, that's the natural makeup of, of my family. We're kind of like the little house on the prairie. A lot of families are where they stay in close proximity, like grandma and a lot of her children, she has eight are in close proximity. Literally. Your entire family really is, is here. Mm, Yep. Minus two, uh, two uncles. Yeah. Wow. And are they in the state? Nope. Okay. So they're, nope. they're one's going. in Georgia and one's in Texas. Okay. So there are some all of which are there. successful and and eight eight kids and grandma loved it. I just was, I just saw her recently over Easter and she was like, I loved it. I loved it. It was just so much fun. And I'm like, what? In the, and she has two sets of of uh, Irish twins. Yeah. So one That's set amazing. was born eleven months and one was like 10, 10 and a half, like Anderson and Everett. And I'll tell you, that was the hardest time of my life. And she's over here talking about how it was like incredible. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> Good job, Grandma. Two, yeah. yeah kudos. Well, I mean, like some people are just—they seem to be built for it. That's true. Yeah, that really is true. So, it's so you, graceful about being a parent, you know. Oh, I feel like I'm just a oh, yeah. disheveled mess. Just trying to, just yeah, just <laughs> trying to through keep the put day. my clothes on and yes. not kill somebody. Yes. Yeah. Well, I uh, I'm glad for you that your family is relatively close, and I know that your family, like my family, like all families, is dysfunctional in its own beautiful way. Because really, they all are. I mean, and dysfunction just simply means that sometimes we miss the mark. We don't. We can't always be spot on. Sometimes I will talk with someone, and, and they believe really that their family is is not without error. That there's no real room for growth or 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 better understanding or uh, any kind of improvement. And that always has struck me as a little bit frustrating because I think everybody is is up for improvement and growth. You've met people who literally think that their families are... Absolutely. Oh my gosh. In the same way that I've asked people how their faith has changed, and they will say that it hasn't since childhood. And these will be people in their 80s saying, I've, I've never questioned, I've never doubted. What I believed as a five-year-old in kindergarten going to Sunday school is the exact same thing I believe now. And they would say that with some degree of pride. And if there are people out there who are listening who feel that way, I think that's a, that's a particularly you know, uh, interesting and, and certainly proud thing to be able to say, I guess. But for me, uh, change is indicative of life. And status quo is indicative of stagnancy, which is indicative of death. I'm all about growing and trying to improve and challenging myself and pushing myself. And I, I, I don't think of anything really beyond the kind of most fundamental of things that I still think the same as I did when I was a, a child. And I certainly wouldn't say that my family is without need for growth and improvement because it is because I am and I'm a part of that family. So if I need growth and my family does too, naturally, since I'm, since I'm a part of it. Well, one thing I can tell you is I'm not good at being a parent. Well, I'm not bad at it, but I'm never going to be great at it, I think. Maybe. Maybe I am, but 
What do you think it means to be a great parent? Like be, beyond I don't know. just really loving don't, your children and wanting the best for that's them. That's literally all that. That's great parenthood right there. Yeah. Is loving your children and wanting the absolute best for them and just trying. There's literally, modeling, modeling. there is no, uh, there's no balance sheet. There's no receivables, payables. This is not something that you can, you know. <laughs> can you imagine if your kids woke up every morning and printed off a, balance sheet of how well you had parented them it would be awesome it would be awesome because then i could see what my profits and losses were (laughs) yes you know and i could make adjustments like we do within business but that's right there's no book there's a billion books but there's no book that's right no well you know what i mean there's a great book called operating instructions by Anne lamott who writes about her uh first year or so with her son sam She's a brilliant author, funny and wry and raw. And, uh, you know, that's the whole point of the book, which is why it's called Operating Instructions, is that there's, there's no manual, you know, for, for parenting. And we basically just uh, single-handedly and very generously pass along all of our neuroses to our offspring. <laughs> it's essentially what parenting is. Here are all the things that make me crazy. Let me give them to you. I'll end with this story. Went running today. It was awesome. I didn't die. I hadn't ran in, I don't know, a few weeks. And Everett was begging to go running with me. Okay. And uh, we go, we make it about seven houses. And dude is about to, like, he's on E, about to die. Like, carry me. I get him back. And at the end of our street, we have a basement that uh, sump pump, the pipe runs to the end of the street. And because of so much rain we've had, the geyser of water continuously shoots up and there's this pool that gathers on the sidewalk. Everett face plants into the water and starts lapping it up (gasps) like a dog. All right. Parenthood win. (laughs) Right there. I mean, people are walking by. It's like, what do you do? And what do you say? Parent of the Year award goes to Nathan Morris. (laughs) That wasn't your fault. He face planted and decided to drink sewage water. Yeah. No, he intentionally did that. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't your fault. No, no, no. Yeah. Anyway, that was my story. Well, let's hope that he stays free of diphtheria, <laughs> scurvy and the like. Typhoid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Me big dysentery. <laughs> hey, uh, so, so to all you uh, people out there who are parents or who have parented or who have ever been a part of a family, which hopefully is everyone. I think that's, I think you've, yeah, got everyone. We, uh, we're like you, just trying to figure it out. And uh, I think it's just really important that we be honest about our our limitations and our failures and celebrate the wins and, you know, try to learn from the losses. That's all we can do. Hey, do me a favor, ladies and gents. Be sure and share this podcast with a friend. How do they do member. that? You How simply you go it? to your listening device, such as Apple Podcasts. Be sure and click the five star and click share. Send it via text message. You can do that. iMessage. Come on. Just drop it over to your friend. Or you can go to Facebook too. Yeah, go to Facebook.com forward slash you'll die trying. And uh and you know, send us a message. A couple of people have done that recently. Mm-hmm. My college friend Greg has told us that he has literally quoted our podcast in an essay that he was working for for work, which I think is so humbling. Very humbling. So a Thank shout you. out to Greg. And also uh to Charlie, who is an avid listener who uh, commented on the fact that we always thank our first responders. Oh, wow. And you know why we do that? Because we are near a fire station. Mm -hmm. And we know you're going to hear the sirens. And so rather than pretend like it's not happening, we can use it as an opportunity to 
say thanks to our first responders. Absolutely. So, thank you, Charlie, for that little shout out. I am Nathan Morris. I'm Dr. Jonathan Carroll. This is You'll Die Trying. We're so thankful for you.